I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now the COVID is still with us and it's not going anywhere fast, certainly not in the near future. The big issue this week will be the reopening of schools. I don't know about you, but the selfish side of me is over the moon. I have two school-going kids, and after six months of them at home, I think I could say I've been driven around the bend, so roll on day one. However, there's a far more serious side to all of this, quite obviously. As we know, there is major risk attached to reopening the schools, despite the fact that, effectively, I think few would disagree, but we have to do it at this point. The risk is particularly acute in households where there's somebody with an underlying condition. And there's also a risk for teachers who are now taking their place on the front line in this pandemic. On a lesser important but still notable level, there's political risk. This is the government's big project. If it doesn't come off or if it falters due to a lack of preparation or resources or whatever, there will be a big political price to pay. Now, for the last few weeks, possibly running into months, school principals all over the country have been preparing for a school year that will be like no other. To find out what exactly is involved and how it will all be tackled, I'm joined by Rochelle Long, who's principal of the Christ King Girls Secondary School on the South Douglas Road in Cork. Rochelle, I'm sure you're up the walls, so thanks very much for joining us and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mick. It's a pleasure to join you today. Michelle, you have a big school there. I think it's about 800 pupils. How and when did you begin preparing for this coming year? We are, Mick. We are a large school. Our school population is 800 girls coming from about 15 different primary schools. Our teaching staff, ancillary staff and support staff would reach up to 80. So we're opening a building that will house 880 people from... We open at 7.30 in the morning and we will be closing our doors at 4 p.m. now from September onwards, as opposed to the ordinary 6 p.m. But to answer your question, when did the preparation begin? It really ran from the last academic year. The academic year of 1920 has simply run into the academic year of 2021. And it has been a year like no other for anybody who's been involved in any type of industry or organization in the country. It has been shoulder to the wheel since March and everybody will continue to do that until the time that we live without this COVID or that we live in a place where there is a vaccine. Yeah, Rochelle, you say, as you say, 1,800, it's just the way you put it there, 1,800 students. And obviously that's not the only one in the country. There's a lot like, even though it is obviously a very big school. But that must be, uh, schools like yours must be the first establishments of that size that are reopening and housing the same number of people as they did prior to the to the outbreak of the pandemic. Yes, we will house the 800 girls, the 800 students and the 80 staff exactly as we did on the 12th of March. So the physical building has not changed, but 
three weeks ago now at this stage, Minister Foley released guidelines, national guidelines that were to be implemented locally by each school. So we were to conduct a risk assessment on every single activity from opening the front gates in the morning until the time that we close them. It has been a mammoth amount of work, but it has, it's been work that has been undertaken with a willingness, a willingness by every school principal, the length and breadth of the country to do exactly which is what is necessary. And that is somehow to start to reopen our country. And one of the critical steps is reopening our schools. So like, for example, you are going to have to, with the same physical structure, uh, house those 800 girls, taking into account all of the physical distancing measures and recommendations that are there. On the face of it, that would strike an outside person like myself as a, a mammoth task, un- unless, and I presume you didn't, you'd acres of free space prior to any of this pandemic at all. Unfortunately not, Mick. There is going to be huge variety of experience from school to school. Some schools are very blessed to have been new builds in recent years. Some, like ours, were built in the 60s. So our classrooms are 49 square metres in size. They will comfortably hold 24 students. It has meant that we have had to reinvent and reconfigure the use of other spaces in the school building. We're using our prefabs to accommodate our leaving certs because if there is a situation where one of the children become infected with COVID, we want to limit the exposure of all students, but we are critically aware of our sixth year students and the year that they have, re- have experienced when they were in fifth year. But every single person here in the building is of value. But what we really have done is we have split the school in two. So we are running two schools on two different timetables in two different ways within one building. So tell me about that, the two different timetables. Now, how does that vary from the presumably the one timetable you had prior to the pandemic? And what it means, the reality is, is that we have designated doors for each student to enter. We'll have supervisors there from early on in the morning, ensuring that the girls engage with hand sanitization before they come in. Our students, because of the number in the building, will wear face masks in communal areas, such as bathrooms, assembly hall and corridors. We've altered the system of movement to a one-way system. We have moved away from teacher-based classrooms to student-based classrooms. Our morning break will now, our junior school will now have a morning break. So they'll have it during the fourth period. So they will be thought for 15 minutes, a 15-minute break, and then return to that class. And that will reduce the number of students on the corridor and using the bathroom facilities to 400 then our senior students will have their break 20 minutes after that when the cleaning of the bathrooms has taken place. Our lunch breaks will be staggered. The end of our day will be staggered. So our first and second years will leave at 3.25. Our third years and TYs will leave at 3.35. And our fifth and sixth years will leave at 3.45. And again, through their designated doors. So what we're doing is minimising the interaction between the year groups. And we've heard a lot, uh, Rochelle, about um, pods and that. Does that only apply to primary school or do you have a system like that in secondary school as well? Yeah, the pod idea, I can see the merit of it and I can see how it would work in a primary school. In a secondary school, it would be different. While students in first year, they would have a base class group for English, Irish, maths, language, etc. They would be mixed with other students. 
or optional subjects such as science, graphics, home economics, music. So in that case, they will be mixing outside of their 24. Now, we have 140 girls coming into first year next week. Very particular group, a group that left school on the 12th of March, did not return to their primary school. And they're coming in with all of the anxiety that every student will have. And they're being asked to form brand new relationships. So they would be a key group who would be in, in serious need of pastoral support, guidance support, relationships, cultivation assistance, all of that must take place because for the child to learn, they have to be emotionally well. And we must ensure that they come to that point. We must support the parents in bringing them to a place of emotional well-being within a new building in the midst of all of these new structures. So that is our primary focus for our first years coming in. So if you take, for example, Michelle, those 140 year first years now, is it the case so that within that large group, ultimately because of changing classes and presumably break time and what have you, there won't be strict physical distancing or there can't be within, within that group? Would that be correct? Uh, actually, Mick, what we've done is we've broken down the 140 again. So we've looked at all of the times that, let's say, one group, when they're away from their base class, when they may be inside in science or home economics or graphics, We've limited those to three classes. So rather than having the one, one the 140 spread and the 140 exposure, we've brought it down to 70 with careful planning and preparation. We're maximizing the outside space. We have invested over 12,000 euros in outside garden furniture so that the classrooms that the girls will be in can be ventilated and air change and they will socialize outside when the weather permits. On a wet day, then, we will use our PE hall. We have managed to maintain the integrity of the PE hall, thankfully, and we will use that over the staggered breaks. But we've brought it down to 70 as opposed to the 140, which we're very pleased about. And I know it might sound trivial, but it's not for kids of that age. But, for example, uh, two girls arrive from uh, primary school, one of your feeder schools, best of friends, they end up in those separate uh, groups as you have them. Would they be encouraged not to congregate together in any form at school? Yeah, our pastoral care team and our guidance team, led by the year tutor and the deputy principal who's over the junior school, they have worked on the class formation. They've liaised with the primary schools and they've liaised with the parents, each parent's receiving an individual telephone call. And we gathered a picture and we gathered a picture of their friendships. We gathered a picture of their social challenges, their learning abilities. And we have tried to ensure that they are as close together as possible. But we will be encouraging the girls to be open to the cultivation of new friendships. We always start with that opening sentence. Your best friend is here. You just have to meet her. Yeah, God, it just shows you the detail that you have to go into. In that regard, Michelle, something presumably that wasn't necessary. Every year, you're notwithstanding the, the usual pastoral care, but having to take everything into account. You mentioned the gym hall, and you've been able to, within the confines of the building, retain the gym hall as a, a, a gathering place. You haven't been forced to use that for classes or anything. That, that, that must be, you must be grateful for that, at least. I am. I am, Nick. I'm very grateful, but it's something that we feel very strongly about here in Christ King. It's a school with a strong sporting culture. 
um, we, we wish to preserve our traditions and our cultures. The girls need to exercise. They need their PE class. It's the highlight of the week for some children. And not to allow the girls to experience their PE, in my opinion, would be in breach of the guidelines with regard to ensuring well-being for students. While on one hand, we have a document from the department to ensure the well-being of all students. And on the other hand, I would be taking away the subject that supports it enormously. Now, I have had to reconfigure areas adjacent to the PE hall, my balcony area, which allowed the girls to engage in aerobics, yoga, pilates. I've had to take that for a, cl for a class of 30 to ensure social distancing. My stage that allowed for performance of the arts, for drama, for public speaking and for dance, that too has been taken for a classroom of 30. My assembly hall, which in the morning was hive of activity where the girls made friends with each other and it was a buzz with 200 girls in there every morning chatting and laughing it was a place to enjoy in the morning in the school that's all gone that's broken up now into two separate classrooms so that I can maintain my class sizes where necessary so there's a huge loss to the building and a huge loss to the girls socialization in the school right and you mentioned the p and the activity Rochelle I'm one thing I'm curious about myself in terms of sports, inter-school sports, that sort of thing. Is there anything happening in that area or is that basically suspended? At the moment, I met with our PE teacher on Tuesday morning and we spoke about competitions. We spoke about various competitions that the girls would engage in, camogie, football, soccer, basketball. At the moment, we are holding on entering such competitions. Our purpose for the next three weeks, four weeks, is to minimise all risk, to minimise it as much as possible, to watch the space that is coming from the advice, coming from the public health and also from the Department of Education. But we will not be exposing the, the students any more than just to the school, and we hope returning to their homes. We're very mindful of what Ronan Glynn said to us when there is all of the, we're the third highest in the EU now. 360 of the cases in the last 14 days came from the processing plants, but 200 of them came from the community. And another 200, they are not aware of the source as of yet. So there is cases in the community, and we wish to minimise the risk for all students by exposing them to anything greater than just school life and home life. And to the best of your knowledge, do you think a similar attitude is being taken by most principals? in terms of inter-school inter sports and that kind of thing? Yeah, Mick, we're cautious by nature. You know, principals are very cautious people. We're slow to expose. We don't go to the reactionary. Um, I would believe that that would be the general practice that we will hold back. Uh, our aim is to review it every single week, review, amend constantly, but we are not going outside the school gates. And like even the experience for parents coming into the school, for delivery personnel coming into the school, for visitors, that's all gone. The advice is for parents to telephone the school. Um, if a parent needs to meet with me or one of the deputy principals, we'll be doing it on a Wednesday afternoon when the building is free of the students and free of the staff. We are aiming for telephone resolution for any matters that may arise in the coming weeks. Delivery personnel will not be allowed to deliver to the school whilst the students are here or staff. It's only on a Wednesday afternoon or after 5 p.m. Deliveries won't be accepted into the building until 72 hours after they have been stored in a, in a locked container. So many, many measures. It's a very different school environment that the students will be coming in. But all of these changes are to minimise the risk of exposure. Of course, it is so different. It's, 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 quite, um, it's quite amazing the detail that's involved. 
Another thing I'm curious about, Rochelle, uh, furniture, have you had to get rid of some of it or uh, take it, just take it out of its normal place at least? We have. We were very, I suppose, we were very tight on space, Nick, and 800 girls. And like I said, in some of our sixth year and fifth year option blocks, we would have seven different subjects running at the same time. So they would be occupying seven different classroom locations and the size of the group would vary. So we had to look at the number of students in every single class, in every single room. And there's over a thousand class periods on our timetable. So all of those had to be reviewed individually. We had a huge amount of movement of furniture, a reconfiguration of our buildings, but we have been so fortunate. Our caretaking staff, the support that we've got from our teachers and both deputies, they simply didn't have a summer holidays. They haven't left my side since the 12th of March. Um, I'm very, very grateful to the help that I have got. It, it would have been absolutely impossible without the support of the deputies, the teachers, the caretaking staff and the admin staff. And I suppose the hidden people who are behind all of this are the board of management. You know, they met with us last week for a very, very extensive meeting. We're meeting again next week. These are volunteers, parents on the board, teachers, trustee nominees. And we are painfully working through each of the hazards that we've identified in the school. It's running into a 53-page document at this stage, make our COVID plan, and how we are responding to each of those hazards. What are the control measures that we're putting in place? We're putting them in place. We'll be reviewing them on a weekly basis. It's, it is quite incredible, the amount of work that is needed. It is. And tell me this. You discover a case of the virus. What kind of procedures kick in then? Even before a case would be confirmed, if we discovered a child had been sent to school with any symptoms, we operate our contingency plan, which is that the parents are notified immediately. The child is isolated in, we have two isolation areas. The child and the person who's attending to the child, myself or one of the deputies, would be in PPE gloves, masks, the child as well. We would practice social distance. We would ask the parents, at that stage, we hope the parents would have arrived to the school. We would ask them to call their GP, not to present to the GP's practice. Isolation would be maintained until the child can return into the care of the parent. And then it is a deep cleaning regime would take place and we would assess the incident. We'd review the incident if it is a confirmed case, Mick, the HSE will then engage with the school. There would be contact tracing through the class roles that would have been taken on the day and the class roles for their base class. And as we said previously, for their option classes as well. Have you been given any indication of how long it would take to um, confirm a case like from the, the presentation of symptoms or anything in that line, Michelle? No, we've received no data as to the specifics as to how many days we would, we would be waiting to be notified whether the case was a confirmed case or not. So in, in, in that scenario, so for example, uh, a girl has symptoms and it's noticed and she's self-isolated, etc. What about the rest of her class in between that time and the time you get a result from a test? At that point, it's the limiting the exposure of the other students and who they would mix with. And I understand the new guidelines this week were asked to limit, limit, limit. And Dr. Glynn again made reference to what has changed for them is the number of contact tracing that is involved. 
with any of the cases, and that has increased exponentially. So we would be we would be waiting. We'd be waiting for the guidance from the HSC. They would be the lead on that, Mick, and they would have the agreed practice that they run across the country and schools will fall in line with their practice. What of the parents, Rochelle, who um, the child gets up, not the child, sorry, the girl, the, the teenager or whatever, gets up in the morning, um, isn't feeling too hot, has sniffles, doesn't have the specific main symptoms, uh, but has some that, you know, could be mixed up for a cold or whatever. I mean, is your position that in all those instances, because uh, just take the safe route and don't come into school? Or what? what's the specific advice in that regard? This was the question I was, I was hoping you'd ask, Mick. Do not come to school. Under no circumstances is a child to come to school with any or one of the symptoms. Under no circumstances. The exposure to the other students and the staff, it simply cannot happen. We are urging all of our parents, if you have any concerns for your daughter's health, keep her at home, monitor it, contact your GP by phone. Please do not send your child to school under any circumstances. You know, Christ King is very advanced in online learning or e-learning platform of Google Classroom. And students, they can they can maintain the work that they're being that's being done in school at home with the support of their teacher, they're not going to be at an educational disadvantage if they exercise caution. And I urge every parent to be cautious, be measured, and to keep the student at home. Um, the whole thing that you've been put through, Rochelle, um, it's cost some money as well. I presume you've gallons of hand sanitizer and what have you. Um, are you happy with the financial support and what, did it all come directly from the department? Yes, we have received some funds from the department. There has been additional pupil-teacher ratio allocation, which means that they anticipate, as we anticipate, a very high staff absenteeism level. Next Wednesday, when our staff return, I will urge the staff to be as cautious as I'm urging my parents to be. Please do not present to work if you have any of the symptoms. So we will have an enormous amount of supervision requirements. And we have received some supports. We have received financial supports for the first time ever. Post-primary schools have received a minor works grant, you know, and it's going to allow us to upgrade our bathroom facilities. But Mick, there's two different types of schools. We have the schools of the voluntary sector, like ourselves, who historically were founded by a religious order. And we have those that are in the ETB sector. And... Those that are in the ETB sector have the support of a financial department. Uh, those in the ETB sector have the support of the building department. They have the support of the human resources department. The principals in the voluntary secondary school sector have none of those. So just what's currently on our desk, whilst yes, my bank balance will allow me to buy the sanitizers, it will allow me to upgrade my hot water system and bathroom systems. All of that must be done by the principal. So. Today, it's a matter of dealing with plumbers, floor coverings, builders, electricians, um, cleaning companies. So you are project managing, you are financial budgeter, you are your clerk of works, you're all of those things. So giving the money, it's one thing, but the measures that we need and the supports that we need, it was a previous investment in our building was a crucial thing that we needed many, many years ago, especially in the voluntary secondary school, because we receive a reduced capitation because of the fact that we were founded by religious orders 
as opposed to ETB Educate Together Schools. And what about support directly from the department, Rochelle, in terms of, um, you know, guidance and that sort of thing? I mean, for example, there has been a certain amount of comment around about a lack of direction, certainly in terms of public pronouncements and, and spreading a bit of confidence and that sort of thing from the Minister of Education, from the department in general. That would seem to be the situation in terms of parents and the general public. From your perspective as a principal, are you pretty happy about the um, messaging that we've had from the Department of Education? If we consider all things at the time of the publication of the guidelines that came in early August for us, um, they allowed us 20 days, working days, to prepare for the reopening of our school. They were given at the time in line with the advice from the public health advice, Department of Education as well. But that's ever changing. It's it's like it's quicksand underneath the Department of Education. And whilst it's fine to look from a distance and say, I think they should have done X, I think they should have done Y. The, the landscape is changing and it's impossible to foresee what it's going to be like. We all would like more time. We all would like another two weeks to get our schools ready. But I understand that it is a priority of this government uh, to reopen the school. It is a cause of grave concern to every parent. As you said yourself in your introduction, parents want their children back at school. So whilst the circumstances surrounding the timings, etc., might not be ideal, they were what they were of that time. And we have to look at the entire context and all of the advice. And prior to this minister, we had another minister and we had another government who would also have been involved in the preparation of reopening our schools. Um, the, face, the face is something that people need to see. Um, I know myself that the administration work that lands on the desk of the principal for the next six months, I believe, can only commence at 4pm when the students and the staff have gone home. The students will need the reassurance of seeing me on the corridors. The staff will they need the reassurance of the routine, of the direction, of the reinforcement of the hand sanitization, social distancing, etc., and we all need that support. And that support can be given financially, as I've mentioned. It can be given visually. And the visual support is just as important at this time. Yes. Um, would you be confident, Rochelle, that bar things really deteriorating, that you should, you'll be able to maintain the school staying open? That You know, if I could project slightly and just taking yours as a typical large school, let's say, for example, over the coming weeks or months, you have a few outbreaks. You might, let's say, for example, you may have half a dozen, you may have a bit more, even in scenarios like that and allowing for the, the, the wider issue outside the schools to stay at a kind of level it is at the moment or even get better. Would you be confident of getting through the school year without having to shut down? Um, Mick, our planning next week will be heavily focused on the health and safety of the students and the teachers. And then we will look at maintaining the practice that the girls and the students developed during the lockdown, which was engaging in remote learning. So our teaching is going to be a combination. It's going to be blended learning. It's going to be learning through the e-learning platform, and the traditional teaching and learning that you and I would have experienced in school. We are preparing for the school and all schools in the country having to acknowledge the fact that 
three countries went into local lockdown recently, and that's the reality of the time that we live in. And we are preparing for our students to be able to learn remotely in the combination of online learning and live classes and in-school teaching. So, yeah, it's a combination, Mick, but we are preparing for what might be the inevitable. You mentioned that you have about 80 staff. Just in the last three, four weeks as you're really ramping up preparations, have many of those staff been on site? Yes. I drove into the car park yesterday morning and the car park was nearly full. I've had staff on site. They've been doing risk assessments of their science rooms, risk assessment of their practical rooms, technology rooms, putting the measures in place for social distancing. And we've had the COVID team meeting on a weekly basis in school. Since the publication of the guidelines, we've had our two lead workers. I've had meetings with various departments like PE, et cetera, that I mentioned earlier on, pastoral care teams, you know, year tutors, enormous support from our staff. And not both deputies have been side by side with me all summer, ensuring that we can reopen as safely and as measured and as controlled as possible with the implementation of the guidelines in the local context. And I think that's very important that people know that there's, whilst there's national guidelines, they have to be adapted for each of the individual schools. So what might be right for school A in their physical building and their operation may differ from school B down the road. And I'd ask parents to have trust in the school that their student is, that their daughter or son is going to, and allow the principal, allow the board and allow the teachers put all of the control measures in place. And I'd urge them for their support as they have been all summer. The parents have been absolutely unfailingly supportive. I live in the community. And the moment that the GA was back at training on a Wednesday and a Saturday, the first question is, are you going to open this lawn? Yes, we're going to try our best. Okay, and how are you going to do it? And they want reassurance that we're going to open it. That is what the parents are looking for as well. They do. And there's one other thing then, Rochelle, and I have to say, I've noticed this among people. I've, as I mentioned, I, I have kids of school going age myself and therefore I know a lot of people in that demographic. And there has been two reactions from parents in my experience to particularly pre the summer holidays in relation to the performance of teachers. One has been, and this is my own experience in terms of my own kids, I have to say, I have been really um, gratified at the amount of work that's gone in by principals, by some by individual teachers and that sort of thing. Uh, there's no doubt they've gone the extra mile, to use that phrase. Now, I've heard from other people who have not had that experience. And it would seem, certainly, and you know, it, it, it's not scientific, but I, I would suggest that the, the, there's a mixed reaction from parents as to the whole of the teaching profession. Some have gone completely out of their way. They've they've really put the shoulder to the wheel. Others have sat back and enjoyed the view. This coming school year is going to really put it up to all teachers. Isn't that the case? Um, I'd have to disagree with you, Mick. I think yeah. every, every school year puts it up to every teacher because you have such a variety of challenges inside in that classroom for 40 minutes. You have 24 children, and what you must do is impart the content in a meaningful way for all 24 to be able to access it at their level. Not only must you teach the content, you must measure their learning, and you must build on the previous learning and prepare them for to gain, to be in a position where they can continue that learning at home in an independent manner. It's an enormously complex relationship between teacher and students. And on the 12th of March, when that went to a remote place, 
thankfully in Christ King, we had already, we were well down the road from e-learning. You know, the students, my own daughter is a student here. She was able to engage with the Google Classroom without me ever getting involved in it. Um, and we have very independent learners and they were very comfortable. And our teachers are highly skilled in it. They were very, very good. They had their online classes, you know, like part of part of our return to school, we have actually developed an e-learning plan, which comprises of 10 lessons, which the girls will do before they even enter the building. Similar to the GAA program, they'll complete the, the exam at the end of it. They'll receive certification. We're asking the parents to engage in it. So for a school like ours, it was challenge but it was certainly possible and we had a very very high level of engagement from our girls I remember looking at the number of email correspondence and, and activity on Google Classroom that went between our students and their teachers and I remember at the end of May it was absolutely incredible that we had reached over half a million electronic messages had gone between our students and our teachers so like that is putting the shoulder to the wheel, pulling on the green jersey, whatever analogy one wants to use. But it's absolute dedication on the part of the teachers. And I have full faith in them that they will continue that. They'll absolutely continue it. And I'm glad that was your experience as well. It certainly was mine as a parent and mine as, as a principal. It was I, Absolutely. And I've no doubt that's the case. Um, I, as I say, I was only speaking from anecdotally. There were definitely some people who felt that. Uh, my own experience, as I say, it was not that at all. It was very similar to yours, Rochelle. Rochelle, listen, thanks very much for really filling us in. I mean, the nuts and bolts of the whole thing, the amount of work that's going into it, um, what teachers are facing into, what schools are facing into, really challenging. I suppose this is going to be the new normal for us, but there's no doubt that as of next week, uh, teachers are very much there on the front line next to the, the medical staff, as we've seen in, in a different context, obviously. But there's no doubt in, in that really congregated setting that um, they'll be up against it. There'll be a lot of pressure, a lot of stress and the very best of luck to you with it. Rochelle Long, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Thank you. I'd also like to thank our sound engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you for listening. Um, you can get us on the usual platforms, on Spotify, on iTunes, on iCloud. You can let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on the Twitter machine at, at mickcliff. See you soon, folks.